are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Well, I'm tagged out on Bucks in Georgia, but I think I'm going to start blaming Nick just for his sarcastic and smart comments on, on Facebook. But this season has not been without its share of just simple frustrations. Uh, I'm going to talk through that a little bit here. So this, this episode may be a little shorter than normal. I don't know that I'm going to have really 30 minutes of content, but sometimes I get to, I get to rambling on and who knows where we'll end up. But so, uh, Pre episode a couple a week or two ago talked about the the buck that I shot where you know the arrow hit a limb just literally right outside of the bow, and then the 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 buck that I took on the fourth of December. So I'll give you a little bit of setup here. Um, not that it not that it really matters, but I always like just kind of setting it up so you can kind of get the image in your in your head. Pretty much anywhere you hunt in the country, except maybe the deep south, which I know Georgia's south, but I don't really consider where I live the deep south. Very few trees here have leaves remaining on them. Uh, the pines, you know, they still have their needles. Uh, some of the beech trees still have leaves on that are that are a brown. They, I mean, they've turned, but a lot of times they don't lose those leaves until the new growth starts in. Uh, and there's some oaks, uh, specifically water oaks. Uh, I know uh, there's some blackjack oaks on the property I was hunting that have a few leaves left. But for the most part, the the leaves are gone. And at this point, the deer have been hunted pretty hard. We're several months into the season here. So you look for any cover you can find. And in fact, between now and next year, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little bit of, uh, testing trial and error, and I'm going to try to find some lightweight artificial, you know, almost like, uh, the stuff you'd use around Christmas, um, artificial pine le- limbs, needles, something that I can carry that is fairly lightweight, or maybe I'll just, uh, put it on the stand permanently, something that I can use to kind of help break up my outline because, once it gets stark in a lot of areas, I mean, the cover is really scarce. And I had planned to hunt this location. I went in not blind. I had a, there's a double red oak um, that I have marked on my GPS. And I wasn't hunting that red oak, but there is also a um, large stand of privet, very, very thick. Uh, between now and really the end of the year, I've seen it going on up into middle January. There's, there's still going to be rut activity going on. And a lot of times bucks will, and in fact, the buck that I shot yesterday was doing just that. They will skirt the downwind side of these really thick, uh, areas. It gives them cover. It gives them browse and they're able to scent check for, you know, does that are coming in estrus late. They love these little transition lines, although the transition line that I was hunting is a bit different in that the woods are pretty open, but it's all a lot of really small diameter trees for the most part. So it, it has, it's a bit of a, it's, it's kind of different. I mean, it looks 
thick depending on where you're looking or how you're looking through it, but it's really it's really not all that thick. But then the the privet thicket is very thick. So the animal just has, you know, a couple of bounds and and they can be, you know, completely protected. And I've hunted and you'll hear me talk about it a lot, especially in late season and from now until the end of the season, that's primarily what I will be hunting is the edges of these really thick, nasty thickets. Usually it's privet uh, because of the same scenario that I had yesterday. When I went in, again, I had this double red oak marked and I picked a path that I thought would stand the least chance of something crossing my trail. And I made my way towards that, that spot in my, that uh, waypoint on my GPS. When I got there, I started looking for, uh, good trees with my headlamp, uh, for hunting this general area. I wanted something roughly within 10 to 15 yards of that double red oak. And at the same time, something within 15 to 20 yards of the edge of this thick stand of privet. And the second pine that I, that I looked at and, and I, I, I like choosing pines this time of year, if I can get high enough to get a little bit of cover, because usually if there's one pine, there's multiple pines, it, it makes it shaded. So it's a, it, you're in shadows a bit more, uh, where if you get in a, a hardwood, most hardwoods this time of year, they're just stark and, it's hard to get any cover or much shadows at all. So anyway, I was looking at the pines and the second pine that I looked at probably 16 to 17, maybe 18 feet high. There was just this big clump of vines. Uh, and as I got up in there, it was, some of it was some smaller muscadine vines that are just getting started. There was and a good mixture of greenbrier mixed in these vines as well. And it was, it wasn't a ton of cover, but it was a, it was a, a good bit of cover that was going to give me something, um, to break up my, my silhouette a little bit. So I chose that tree. Uh, I climbed and was in my stand well before daylight. And I, I trimmed most of the vines back, at least that I would come into contact with. So nothing that would make noise, nothing that would hit the the camera arm, all that stuff. Um, but still left as much as I could behind me. Now, the way I was set up, and this is harder to explain, um, there was a chance, and this buck did, that a buck was going to just skirt the entire edge of this privet. Um and come into view from kind of straight ahead of me and to my right and pass by on my right. Although I truly thought that was the least likely path based on animals that I've seen moving through this area in in the past. I expected any whitetails, especially bucks to come in from my left, pass by directly in front of me and offer a shot and then start skirting the edge of the they're with the plan of skirting the edge of this uh, privet thicket as they moved away from me. That's what I expected. And as is so often the case, this animal came in from a different direction. And while it was skirting the edge of this privet thicket, which is, I don't know, it's probably a hundred, 150 yards long. Uh, he started at the other end. So 
he was on my, what I would consider my weak side in this scenario because I actually had to turn and face the tree. So as he's coming in, I had plenty of time to get uh, set up. Um, I'm turned the right way. I did check limb clearance. Um, obviously, as as you're going to hear through this, not well enough, I guess. Um, and at some point, uh, again, I just start focusing on the animal, trying to read their behavior, anticipating where they're going to move. I am operating the camera this whole time and trying to get footage and trying to get the camera set up for the potential shot. And at some point I realized exactly where this buck was going to go. He was going to continue chances were on the path he was on, which was going to bring him broadside to me. Once I turned and faced the tree broadside to me, what would now be on my left at about 12 yards, I'm guessing in short, one of the few chip shots that I have, when I call it a chip shot, but just because I felt like that's what it was, I don't get many of them. I can't tell you the last one I've got. Um, I, I honestly prefer a quartering away shot, which I couldn't take in this scenario. It was either broadside or let, you know, let him walk. Um, because once he had gotten quartering away, it was, I, I wouldn't have had a shot. It was just too much, too much in the way. Um, between the camera arm and the tree, I, I wouldn't have been able to make the shot. Uh, but for me, again, it was a chip shot and I, I don't get them very often. Most of the times the way I set up, the deer is quartering away. They're moving through thick stuff. I've got, I don't do a lot of preliminary, uh, trimming and cleanup. I think it, you know, it warns the animal, it spooks the animal and they're going through that section or that area for a reason. They feel secure. I don't like messing with it. Um, and yes, Nick, I don't, I don't plan. Nick made the comment that between now and next year, I'd be going through the woods with a chainsaw. That's not the case, Nick. He was joking, but I just don't trim a lot. Uh, I will trim stuff that is in my immediate way once I'm in my stand, but that's about it. I don't trim much at ground level. So I'm usually picking different shot windows through very thick cover. Anybody that's watched many of the videos I have posted or seen a lot of the pictures that I post, I'm always in thick stuff. Uh, unless I'm hunting a stand that I'm trying to use as a potential for an opportunity, but more for observation, I just can't see, a, uh, I can't see very far. Um, I do have some observation stands that you know, if the animal walks through a certain pinch point, I'm going to get a shot. But really what I'm doing is I'm watching a larger area to try to pinpoint other locations I might want to hunt. But for the most part, it's thick and it's close. And while it was thick where I was hunting, where my shot window was yesterday was wide open and it was broadside. And honestly, if my luck continues, it'll probably be 10 years before I have another one like that. It was just one of those perfect scenarios. The only way it could have been any better is if my stand had been rotated on the tree. I don't know, a third of the way around the tree to the right than what I set it at. Now, had I done that, the anticipated direction that I thought the animals were going to come in would have been 
a problem at that point. So I had to stand where I wanted it. No, no complaints there. Um, so the animal comes in, he's close. He, he, he seemed very at ease. I started to give a, a grunt to stop him or a mouth, you know, a mouth bleat. And I decided against it. So I picked my spot. I led him just slightly. He was not walking fast. He was, he was at a, just a normal walking gait. And as soon as I release, I hear the awfulest rattle. The vines are now wrapped around my upper limb. And I, again, I probably am not going to post this whole video, but even when you watch the video, you can see the arrow. I won't say deflected because it wasn't deflected, but it took a hard turn to the left and I hit the deer back. Um, so didn't post much about this yesterday on, you know, when I posted some things on social media about the deer. Um, but I'm sure any seasoned bow hunter probably read between the lines. It was, the hit was back. It was not where I wanted it. I knew it was a lethal hit and I watched the animal after I shot, the animal walked maybe 15 yards and bedded down almost immediately. So I knew, I knew where I'd hit it. I knew it was back. I knew it was a gut shot. Uh, and I, I sat there watching the animal and I'll be honest, I was perfectly prepared to sit in that stand the remainder of the day. If he stayed in that bed, because I knew he was going to expire. I would have sat there until after dark if I had had to. Um, but he sat there, I'd say three to five minutes. I didn't, I didn't count it, but, and I do know it always seems longer than it really is, but it was, it was a good three to five minutes. And he eventually got up out of that bed and very, very slowly started walking away. I did see him stop one other time and I thought he was going to bed down again, but he eventually just slowly moved on flicking his tail and eventually he walked out of sight. At the point he walked out of sight, I looked at my clock on my watch and it was nine fifteen, and I made a point to myself that I was going to sit there at least 30 minutes and I actually ended up sitting there a little longer than 45 minutes. I did not want to spook that animal at all. And as it turns out, and I'll get into the tracking later, but as it turns out, there was another bed where he did lay down uh, that maybe was another 30 yards from the first bed. But you could tell he did not stay there long. He It was in the open. Uh, there was little blood in that. There was a good bit of blood in the first bed. There was little blood in the second bed. And I'm pretty sure he laid down there for just a minute or two and then thought he wanted to get to something a bit more secure and he got up and moved on. So we'll get back to the track in a minute. Uh, I ended up climbing down again around 10. I brought my stand, my sticks down with me was just as careful about noise and just as quiet coming down as I am when I go up the tree in the mornings, maybe even a little, I was probably trying to be a little bit quieter. Uh, and as I'm packing up my gear, same thing, quiet as I can, no metal clinging to get, clanking together, got everything strapped down good and tight on my pack. So it would be quiet. And at that point, I'm, I'm, I've already decided at this point, I'm not going to track this deer. Uh, 
I feel like I am a solid tracker, but these situations, I would much rather bring in a tracking dog than take a chance of, of bumping that animal, uh, and, and never finding it. So because of the hit, I knew it was going to be a minimum of eight hours. I expected 12 before I went back in to track the animal. Uh, I also was thinking about many conversations that Jerry Russell and I have had. Jerry Russell has a phenomenal tracking dog, uh, bear dog. You, you, a lot of people will know about bear dog. If you don't, you should check out, um, Russell outdoors on, uh, I think it's Russell outdoors or Russell's guiding service. I can't remember, but I'll try to, I'll try to throw a link in the show notes, but check out the, his YouTube page and you can see bear dog at work. Just an amazing dog. He's tracked a couple of animals for me. One was a successful recovery. One was not. And just to watch this dog in action is, I mean, it's, it's a treat to get to watch him. Uh, but Jerry was not available. I sent him a text. I didn't get a response. And as I'm sitting there thinking about things in the stand, it hit me. This was the weekend of the PBS hunt on Blackbeard Island and Jerry was on the island. So I didn't know when he would respond. Um, but all I could think about was the conversations that Jerry and I have had about if you feel like you're going to need a tracking dog, don't mess up the track. So I did want to look at the bed. Uh, and I didn't mention this either. When the, when the deer bedded down, I was pretty confident it bedded right in front of the only trail camera I had on this property, um, at the time. And when I got down, I actually walked around the, the arrow, the arrow was stuck in the ground. I did not touch it, walked completely around it and made a short semicircle over to where I knew the camera was at and looked at the camera and then looked at where I remembered the buck had bedded. And I was pretty confident that the camera had caught this buck. I walked over again, being very careful, taking it very slow, looking for blood where the, where the animal had bedded. And just a few minutes later, I did locate the first bed. There was blood in the bed. It was dark red. Um, and honestly it was more than I expected, but it still wasn't a great amount of blood. So at that point, I knew I was going to bring in a tracking dog. I just needed to find one. Uh, I had not heard from Jerry at that point in time. So I walked back around the semicircle again, not wanting to step in any blood or on that deer's track, went back to my, my pack, loaded up my pack, grabbed my bow. And I actually took a path out of the area that took me about 500 yards, um, out of my way, but I didn't want to take a chance of crossing that trail trying to get out. And I didn't know if that animal had taken a straight path or if it had gone a little ways and turned back to the North. So I didn't want to take a chance. So I made a big semicircle, walked out of there. At some point, Jerry did respond to me, but I had already remembered that he was on Blackbeard Island and told him, um, that I wished he was at home. But if he had any recommendations for another tracking dog, I would appreciate it. Jerry pointed me to a group on Facebook. Uh, I joined the group, put a post. In the meantime, there's also a list. So I grabbed the list from, uh, by county, I should say. I grabbed the, uh, the section for the county that I was hunting in. 
and I sent a few texts out. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Chris Ray was quick to respond, told me he was in the woods hunting. He would call me within 45 minutes, which he did. We chatted for a few minutes um, without getting into details. Some some tracking dogs, their handlers run them what's called on leash, where they've got a leash attached to the dog. Um, it's fairly long. I don't know the dis- the length, but I'd say probably 30 to 45 feet, maybe. Um and there are others that run off-leash. Chris runs his dog off-leash. The first question he asked me was how big the property was. I told him. Uh, we talked a little bit more, and it is in fairly close proximity to a pretty major road. And after discussing it a bit, because his dog is it runs off-leash, he was a bit worried that if the animal wasn't down and we bumped it, it could jump up, run across the road, and now we've got a situation where a dog could get hit by a car. So uh, we decided that for this track, he probably wasn't the best option, not from a capability perspective, just from a safety perspective. So he referenced another gentleman by the name of Travis Wilson. Um, He actually gave me two names, but uh, I, I reached out to Travis first. Travis responded and ultimately called me. We had a great conversation. And, uh, we decided that we were going to meet back at the property at eight o'clock last night. By the time we figured, by the time we got the dog ready, made our way in the dark by GPS to the, the shot location, it would be close to 12 hours. So that's, that's, that's what our plan was. Um, and it was a very long day to sit and wait, but I knew, I knew it was the right thing to do. I knew it was the best chance that I had to recover, uh, that animal. So I sat around and watched TV, uh, made sure my, my batteries were, were all charged for my flashlights and my GPS. And I watched the clock and I watched the clock and I watched the clock, uh, seven, seven o'clock or so rolled around and I grabbed my gear, headed out, drove, had to get some, some cash so I could actually pay this man, um, for, for coming out late at night. Um, and he had about a 45 minute drive, I believe he said, um, Travis shows up with his dog, uh, Freddie and we got everything ready and we headed into the woods, taking the same path that I had exited the woods to arrive at my, at my arrow. Um, Travis let Freddie walk up, smell the arrow. He, he sniffed around the area, made a few little circles for a bit. And then, uh, he pretty much got on the track that I, that I remembered the deer leaving on. We followed him to the, uh, first place that the buck bedded. Um, Travis and I chatted a little bit as, as his dog was, was getting the, the lay of the land, so to speak. And then, you know, he took off and shortly after that, he found the second place the buck had bedded and seemed like it, when he left that bed, um, he, he, which dogs do this. And I, I'm not saying anything. The dog did a phenomenal job. So I want to preface this by saying I couldn't have been happier with the, the job that the dog did, but he, he turned and went a little bit to the north, which initially made me think I was glad I didn't exit the way I did because I thought the buck had got out of that bed and turned. But ultimately, Freddie came back and picked up the trail really on the same heading the buck was on. He almost made, for the most part, a pretty straight line. 
um, headed down a, um, off of, off of the ridge that we were on, crossed a little Creek, went up the other side and bedded in some really thick, nasty stuff. I think, uh, Travis told me last night, the total distance was 210 yards. Uh, and the buck was, the buck had expired. Uh, I still have no regrets. I wouldn't have gone in earlier. Uh, I think it's probably the biggest mistake people make on a, a, a marginal hit is they, they try to push it. They go in too, too soon. There was a call for rain, uh, showers yesterday evening, uh, last night, and then it was supposed to really rain today. And yes, I would say that concerned me a little bit, but more so in the view of if we had bumped that buck still alive by going in earlier, then our chances, in my opinion, for recovery this morning would have been a lot lower because it did rain a good bit overnight and first thing this morning. But anyway, we found the buck. Um, we managed to get the buck out, and I think I was probably home somewhere around 10, 30, 11 o'clock last night. Um, so all in all, it, there was a positive ending, and, you know, things are going to go wrong. Um, it seems like this year I'm I'm kind of doomed, at least on bucks, because I've had it happen on both bucks. The, the doe that I shot the first of November is the only thing that's gone just picture perfect. I mean, it was like it was scripted, perfect double lung animals down in, you know, 40 yards, 50 yards. And everything since then has just been something, something has gone haywire. Um, the buck, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, had the limb unlikely recovery as the previous podcast called it, but you know, it had a, it had a really good ending. That animal was still down in 50, 60 yards. Uh, but this one, yeah, it went a little bit longer. I don't like when this happens. I try to do everything I can to avoid it from happening, but ultimately it's going to happen. It just happened to me twice. So hopefully I've, I've paid my dues for the next couple of years and I'm not going to have any more of these, these instances arise, but it was a solid, uh, eight point. I don't know that it was my largest with trad gear, but it is definitely in the top two. I know I've taken an older buck, but the, the one older buck that I've taken was, uh, did not have the width, but had a lot more mass. So I'm not going to measure them. I, I really, it doesn't matter that much to me. I'm, I'm happy and proud of both of them, but you know, from a, if you're just looking at it from a perspective of, is it the largest? Yeah, it's, it's in the top two of bucks that I've taken with trad gear. Um, so a very nice buck. Uh, I do think it was the buck that I saw with, uh, the buck I shot a week, two weeks ago. Uh, I'm pretty sure that it was the same buck that I saw. They were, I'll say moving together. They were separated probably by about 20 to 30 yards, but you could tell they had followed each other around a good bit. Uh, so I'm tagged out on bucks, um, in, in Georgia, at least I do still have one more weekend of hunting that I'm going to get to do up in North Carolina right after the holidays. So could take another buck up there, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm tickled pink with my year. If I don't, if I don't manage anything else, uh, I'm, I'm more than satisfied. I, I would like to get one more doe. I've got some specific cuts I would like to have in the freezer. Um, if I can get one more doe, but you know what, if I don't, I'm like I said, I'm tickled pink. Tom will be here next week. I'm going to put a lot of effort in trying to get Tom in a, in some good spots while he's here and I'll just do some ancillary hunting and maybe, you know, maybe something to walk by, but I'm definitely going to be giving Tom the, the choice spots that week. 
And with that, I, you know, I think that's about all I wanted to say here. It's, uh, it's been a great season. I've still got, uh, on the property I was hunting yesterday, I've still got almost a month and a half, uh, if I chose to do so, but I don't think I'll hunt much past, you know, maybe the 15th of January. If even that, I may, I may knock it off after I get back from North Carolina, um, New Year's Eve weekend. But if, uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope your takeaway is, you know, if you, if, if you do make a marginal hit, it's always, it's going to happen to all of us. Um, I was, again, I was happy that I had a really wide broadhead. It, it did a lot of damage. Uh, I don't know that a, a smaller broadhead, maybe the animal would have still been alive. I, I no way to know. And it doesn't matter. It, it's one of those hits you never want to, you never want to execute, but it happened. Um, I would definitely probably check my upper limb again was the only thing I'd really change. I, I would take the shot again. It was a, it was a perfect shot window. I just outside, outside influence or not, I flubbed a shot. It's on me. You know, that's, you have to take, you have to take the good with the bad and I have to take responsibility that I made a bad shot, but I did everything that I felt like I could do to ensure the recovery. I would encourage anyone listening to do the same. When you make a bad hit, assess the situation. If you are in doubt that the animal is down, back out. If you're in doubt that you're capable of successfully following that animal and trailing it and having a successful recovery, look into a tracking dog. Um, Yes, they do cost money, but these people are training these dogs. They're feeding these dogs. They're they're paying the vet bills. They're, they're burning their gas. You know, nothing's free, but you owe it to the animal to do everything you can to recover it once that arrow has impacted the animal. So, you know, part of me, the, the, the hard ass side of me, forgive me, is, you know, if you're not willing to do everything it takes to, to get that animal that you're, that you shot out of the woods and, and put to some use, then why are you out there? You know, if that means you're spending a little bit of money extra, you're spending a little bit of money extra. Your, your arrows, your broadheads and your bow cost a lot more than what you're probably going to pay that, that tracker to come in and help you find that animal. So just my thoughts, just my, my closing notes from this episode. And I think this may be the last episode for the holidays. I might get a Christmas episode in that week, but if not, I'd like to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. Looking forward to, in some ways, looking forward to closing out, you know, the 2022 season. And then I get to start probably my favorite part of the year, and that's scouting and getting ready for fall season for 2023. So so with that, I will close this one out. Until next time, take care, everyone.